If you don't diversify your investment portfolio, you could end up losing it all. But most business owners don't know how to diversify to mitigate those risks. That's why we created this resource for you. This passive investing guide is a must-have if you're planning to invest in businesses. Don't hesitate. If you have more than 25 grand liquid, then you can't afford not to take advantage of this resource. Download the four reasons why in 2021 you need small businesses in your portfolio now by going to www.abundantculture.co forward slash guide. Welcome back to the Abundant Culture Podcast, where business owners like you come to learn how to grow the valuation of their companies so they can sell in the future. On this show, you'll learn how to sell for top dollar and invest in profitable businesses around the country. Now, here are your hosts, Jazz and Joe. Hey, it's Joe here. Welcome back to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We're so glad to have you back again this week. Today, we are talking to a business owner who has built a high six-figure insurance business. And I know insurance is something that's usually super dry, but I guarantee you this guy is really entertaining. He's really, really fun to talk to. And his business brings in over $750,000 a year. So you should definitely listen to the systems and the processes that he's implemented in his business in order to achieve sustainable growth. So we're going to be talking about as a business owner, what insurance should you actually be looking to get, who you should be looking to get your insurance from, and much, much more. So get ready to listen to and learn from our good friend, Jeremy Goodrich. Hi, Jeremy, and thank you again for coming on to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We are super excited to have you today because we just had a cool conversation about a whole bunch of different things before we even started recording. And then a couple of weeks ago when I talked to you, we also had a great conversation. So I'm really excited to get into your business and how you're operating things. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, I have to ask you, what is your backstory? Like, tell us about that that journey that you had. Absolutely. Well, just- Joseph and Jasmine, it's so great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. And I love talking business. I'm on a lot of podcasts and we're usually talking specifically real estate. And we'll be talking probably plenty of that in this conversation. But I'm an entrepreneur, have been an entrepreneur for a long time and haven't just had entrepreneurial conversations that much. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to it. So um, I am a teacher by nature to take it backwards and give you the answer to the question. I was an elementary school teacher for 13 years before I started my business and uh, have I've continued to be a teacher in everything I've done since. So I was an elementary school teacher. I met my wife, Mackenzie. She was a third generation insurance agent at her dad's insurance agency. And uh, we started dating, fell in love, got married, all that stuff. And uh, at some point in the conversation, we were, she was experiencing kind of a lot of the crummy stuff uh, that we see in financial world, frankly, and insurance for sure. Some of the misogyny, uh, some of the just she, old boys clubs stuff. She was always the only woman in the room, you know, and, and just feeling a lot of those things about the industry in general and talking to me about that stuff. And I was kind of ready to do something different than teaching after 13 years. And so we got together and we were like, Hey, you know, maybe we can in our own little way, like try and do something about this industry, start our own insurance agent agency and try and change the way people feel about insurance and change the way. I mean, it's a huge industry. We're not changing the industry 
industry in any way. I'm not trying to insinuate that, but try and do what we can to yeah. come from a different perspective and a different place. So in 2013, we started Shine Insurance Agency uh, with that goal to change, you know, change the way people feel about insurance and change the way we engage with insurance. And we've done the best we can with that for the last seven years, uh, grown our agency to about $700,000 in revenue right now. And we're hoping for a million this year is our uh, big push, um, which is a pretty large growth goal, but we're trying to get there. And um, so that is the backstory of how we started the agency. That is awesome. So give me a little bit of an idea how you grew this agency so far as you've done to 700,000 and how you plan to scale that to a million? Like what are some of the techniques or the tactics that you use in order to do that? So I, I believe, I mean, I, I'm a systems person and I'm a strategy person. Everything I do is in some sort of system and, and me and my wife obviously own this agency together. And sometimes she gets frustrated with me because she's like, I want to make decisions. I want to move forward. I want to do things. And I'm like, what is the system that this decision is in, you know, like where does it fit into our process? And so I think that our systems are one key to our growth. And I break those systems down into three pillars, which are not magical pillars, it's marketing, sales, and delivery. And so we're always looking at all three of those things. And maybe I can break down quickly how each of those three pieces work in our agency. Is that okay with you? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Okay. So with marketing, we've always been authentic content marketers. We've always believed that if we put value out there that answers questions for people, that says who we are, that addresses things in the way that we just are who we are, that that will inherently attract people towards the answers to their questions, which helps us to change the way people feel about insurance. And then obviously when they come to that point where they want to make a purchase decision, hopefully they'll consider us for that process. And that has worked pretty well. So from the marketing perspective, I've grown the YouTube channel. We have about 13,000 subscribers on that channel. Uh, simply by answering the questions that I get asked every single day. So if there's a question that I've been asked five times, there needs to be a video about it. And I've been doing that for about five years and uh, that's worked pretty well. And then putting it out on social and just trying to be yourself. I don't know. I mean, we are probably 70% referrals at this point, Um, you know, and that sort of brings the marketing or this, I guess it brings the sales side in connection with the delivery side, right? So the marketing is really authentic content, just being ourselves. Um, the sales is really also just about being ourselves, right? Like we've, we have really good products. We're fortunate enough to have good insurance companies that we work with as an independent agent. You don't work for an insurance company. Uh, you go out to insurance companies and you say, Hey, I'd love to work with you. Would you love to work with me? Okay, great. You're part of, uh, what we can offer now. And you just keep doing that until you have, I mean, we have access to 50 plus companies, but really like 10 main companies. Um, and so we have a great product. And so that makes makes it a lot easier to just be ourselves and go through a sales process with someone. And then we try and be teachers, you know, educators in the sales process. It's like, um, okay, here's, especially with something like insurance, nobody wants to de- be dealing with insurance. Like nobody woke up in the morning and was like, you know what I want to do? I'm going to go find some home and auto insurance. Today. <laughs> right. you know, that's going to be it. Uh, and we understand that. So it's like, Hey, I-, I end a lot of phone calls by saying, Hey, it was great talking with you. Even if we did have to talk about insurance, you know, or even <laughs> if it was about insurance and, it's just that premise where, hey, we get that it's a little bit like going to the dentist, but we're going to make it as good of a dentist visit as we can and take it from there. We're just not pushy. You know, it's like, here's what we've got. If you want it, great. If you don't want it, no problem. 
So that's our sales process. And I think the thing that's really helped us grow the most, and we haven't grown some amazing amount by any stretch of the imagination. There's lots of insurance agencies seven years in with a lot larger group of clients than we have. We've just chosen, we've never taken on debt, really just chosen to like grow at a pace that fit us and and what we could. But I think delivery is the biggest reason why. I mean, we've spent more money on a delivery team. So support team for customer service requests and all that kind of thing than any other part of our workflow. So it's it's authentic content marketing. It's just authentic sales process and having a quality product. I can't say how much easier it makes it to have a really, really good pro- product at a good price. And then just to deliver, you yeah. know, I think so many people fall off on delivery and yeah. I think delivery is key to everything you do and to referrals, you know, and I think in most businesses, referral is a big part of how you grow. Absolutely. You touched on so many great points there. And the the one that I want to pick out first, and then I'll let Joe go, is you just said that you guys grow at a pace that fits you. And a lot of times we don't hear that. We hear about, you know, everybody wants to be like this overnight success and <laughs> everybody wants to like have this super crazy growth in like one year, but we never really hear about the people that are growing at a comfortable pace for them because like the overnight growth definitely is not comfortable and nobody talks about about that part. <laughs> yeah. So I'm happy you pointed that out because that's the first time I think that we heard that on this podcast. Yeah. And I think there's so many downsides to the idea of overnight growth. And maybe I can hit on a couple of those. I mean, one is that it doesn't usually happen. It's a farce for the most part. Like yeah. nobody grows overnight. It's just, you know, most, it's like the band that that's like the one hit wonder that blew up out of nowhere. Well, that band you find out later has been playing gigs for five or six years, you know, has been doing everything they can to work, you know, and then finally, after some period of time, someone saw them and they broke, you know, so even that isn't, you know, an overnight success. And then I think a lot of overnight successes, and it comes back to that delivery piece, just truly fail at delivery and ends up crashing their business. Yeah, because you don't, you don't want to blow up and not have a support system underneath it. So yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people who would want to grow faster than we have. And we certainly could have done that by taking on, you know, taking on debt, blowing up the front end and really making it happen a lot faster. You know, we're happy with our life. We're happy with the way we have things set up. We aren't people who need a bunch of stuff. Um, We're perfectly happy just kind of keeping it at that cool pace. And that's us, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I mean, even at the revenue that you guys already obtained, I mean, I think you're technically still within the top 15 or 10% of small businesses. Cause I mean, you know, like you hear about, you know, these deca million dollar companies or cents a million dollar companies, but they're the exception, not the rule. Those are very rare. But as a small business owner, if you're doing, you know, half a million, $750,000 million a year, that's still very rare at the same time too. And I think that is very successful. And if you look at, you know, small businesses like that, they make up the majority of the foundation of, you know, what we get to enjoy as America. I mean, you know, they're the the backbone of our country. They supply a vast majority of like the jobs in our economy 
And I think, you know, it's nothing to really, you know, laugh at is, you know, something that's growing steadily and doing a really, really decent amount of revenue. So I think I congratulate you guys on that for sure. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, six, seven employees, all of them get paid well. You know, I I think that that's like what you're saying, right? Like, you know, five to seven employee businesses really is the backbone uh, of our country. And the other thing I thought of while you were talking is, you know, when people say, when I say 700K, that's my gross revenue, right? So someone could say 2 million, someone could say 3.5 million. Well, that sounds pretty cool, but ultimately it's the difference between your gross and your, your expenses. It's yeah. that net income that actually matters. You could be a $3.5 million business and lose your money. Expenses are 3.4 or 3.7, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like in the end, it's the difference between the two that matters and, sure. and whether that's, you know, making you happy in the process that you're in, in the life that you're living. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about business health for mm-hmm. sure. So yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you about is when it came to the way you guys market, I like how authentic it is. Are you guys just creating content and putting it out there or are you somehow strategically driving traffic to it? Like how is, how are you handling that, that content piece of your business? That's such a good question. And such the worst, the worst answer of the three, because delivery, I have huge systems, really, really good sales awesome systems, really, really good marketing. Dude, I like answer a question when I think of it and throw it out there. You know, (laughs) like it's, and it's been that way for a long time. I think there's a lot of improvement to be done on that piece of our business. The one consistent thing I have is the podcast that goes out every Tuesday has for over a year now. And that's really like got its follow-up system. It's got everything going on. So there's a lot of consistency there, but you know, i post every day on LinkedIn for the most part, because I've found that to be a really valuable place. There's certain things I do on a weekly basis, but a lot of it is like, oh, I haven't posted on, you know, Facebook through for shine for a while. What could I post there? Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't recommend that as a strategy to anybody, <laughs> although it, it does fine. I mean, it, it, I mean, it works. You but know? when you're getting, you know, 70% of your business from referrals, then I think you can afford to, you know, lack in that department a little bit. If you own a small business and you might be looking to sell, you could run into some major issues. Forbes estimates that nine out of 10 businesses listed never actually sell. Why? Because there's only one way to sell. You need to do these four steps first. So if you want to be a part of the 10% of businesses that sell for profits, we've created a free checklist for you so you can sell without those hurdles that normally hold you back. Download the free checklist by visiting www.abundantculture.co forward slash checklist. So when you get these referrals, are they like all unsolicited or do you guys have an actual process for actually getting referrals? A little bit of both. So um, a big part of, you know, I would say of the referrals, 50% are unsolicited. I get an email from one of our clients that's got someone else CC'd and says, hey, so-and-so, you know, I'm connecting you with Jeremy. We were just talking about insurance. Uh, He's going to take great care of it. So I'd be about, about 50% of it is that. About 40% of the rest is referrals through referral partners. So 
uh, lenders are a huge one for insurance agents because people are buying houses and they, the lender is asking, do you have insurance? And if the answer is no, that, that's the perfect moment for a lender to say, well, I know someone great. So lenders are a huge referral source. Realtors are a significant referral source. Financial advisors are a referral source as well. And that is reaching out to them, establishing relationships with them, making them be a client of your, or you know, giving them the opportunity to be a client of, of, of yours and experience your process. And then we've found that as soon as that happens, then we just start getting a lot of referrals from them. So there's not some big magic process behind it, but I do target in our case as insurance agents, the people who are most likely to be able to say, hey, I know a great insurance agent. And for us, that's lenders and realtors. But I think for your listeners, whatever business they're in, it's like, well, who is the most likely person to be able to say, oh, hey, that product that I sell uh, would be really good for you. You know, if that's moms or whatever, then, you know, connect in Facebook with, with mom groups. Or if that's, you know, Facebook is a great place because groups are just a natural place to be able to find uh, your ideal client there. But, you know, think of who it is that you can connect with who has that potential to just say, hey, so-and-so is, is really good at what they do. Awesome. And so for those referrals, are you doing anything to stay like top of mind with them? Like, is it just the content or are you like reaching out to them every couple of months or do you have like any processes behind them remembering to refer you? Yeah. Uh, again, not amazing ones, but I'll tell you the ones that I do have in place. I mean, so we do a quarterly reach out to groups of referrals. So that's been, you know, a, a brownie box with a thank you or uh, different things that we've sent out to them. So sort of not gimmicky. We try and make it local businesses for those of a lot of our referral sources are fairly local. So connecting in that way. So we do that quarterly. I think the best way to attract, this isn't answering your question, but uh, the best way to attract referral sources is to have a podcast and to bring that person on your podcast as an expert in their space. You know, that's just such a neat way to connect with a referral source. And I've done that a ton, both on the new home buyers podcast that I have and on the uh, real estate investors podcast that I have. But yeah, just reaching out. I'll give them a buzz sometimes and uh, check in and see how they're doing. So again, not magic there, just kind of slogging along, staying in touch, but we probably could do more. And I'll listen to your show for someone who has a magical answer to great referral connection. <laughs> well, sometimes it's the most simple answer that is uh, the most magical. A lot of times right. I've, yeah. or at least I've noticed the stuff that I pick up in my business and start implementing. It's stuff that is like, oh man, that was common sense. And it's like, it just took me forever to start doing it. So I think it's the information you're giving is super, super valuable and super important. And so, definitely more than we're doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, I think that's just it. It's like, what's the next little thing I can do? I think one of the things as entrepreneurs that's so hard is, I don't know about you all, but I am constantly thinking about it and seeing all the things that I'm not doing that I should be doing. And I think that it can take over your brain. It can also beat you down because you just feel like you're not doing these things. And and I, I would say on the reverse of that, it means there's all this potential, of course. Yeah. And I think if you just do, I think that I should be reaching out to four potential referral sources a week. I think it should be like a, a financial advisor, a realtor, a lender, and one other person, right? And I've been saying that to myself for probably a year. 
<laughs> and I still don't do it. And I've never done it. I mean, I've done one or I've done two, you know? And so, okay, what are my potential outcomes there? I can beat myself up about it and remind myself about this thing every single week that I've said I should do that I'm not. Or I can say, I'm going to do it and actually follow through with it, which would be great. Or I'm going to say, that doesn't seem to be fitting right now. What are the things that I can say, all right, I'm going to do this consistently every single time and continue to do that and lead up to that thing that I'm not. And then I guess the last one would be, can I hire someone to do that thing? Because clearly I'm not succeeding at doing it. You know, that would be the other one. For sure. Great answer. Yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is kind of the insurance side of the business, particularly what type of insurance do you guys specialize in and why? Absolutely. So we have two specific verticals that we work in, and that is it. Um, We've done home and auto insurance from the very beginning. And so we do that. Um, And then we work with real estate investors, uh, commercial real estate investors for their portfolios. So that is the type of business insurance we do. Now, we have business insurance clients that are not in that particular vertical because either uh, for the first four or five years, we didn't have that particular vertical or we weren't so specific um, or it was just a great opportunity. So if a business comes to us that's not in that vertical, um, but we align with them, we like them and uh, it's profitable, then we'll consider working in that space. But really uh, we are in that vertical. And the reason why is I started the new home buyer's guide. I already mentioned it earlier in the show, but this YouTube channel where I'm just teaching people about buying a house. And it was coming from people were coming to me for homeowners insurance and asking about appraisals and realtors and lenders and title companies and inspectors. And like, for whatever reason, they felt comfortable asking me about the process itself. And if I didn't know the answer, I went out and found it. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is something here. So I started creating videos about it. And that connected me with real estate very early on and, and first-time homebuyers. And then it was just kind of a natural hop from there to say, well, what about second-time homebuyers? Or about, what about people who are investing in properties instead of buying them for themselves? And what about apartments? Okay, what about offices? Now I'm, now I'm working with developers in cities on big projects, you know? So it just kind of evolved yeah. over time into that space. That's awesome. And are you only doing doing insurance in Indiana or like nationwide? Pretty much nationwide. You know, we expand out into a new state when there's an opportunity that makes sense to do so. So we're in about 25 states currently, but if someone reaches out to us in uh, a state that we're not in and it makes sense, we'll, we'll connect with them. Awesome. Cool. So what should um, specifically business owners look for like in their insurance policies? And specifically business owners who might be thinking about buying the space that they're in, because this Mm -hmm. is something that me and Jasmine always kind of talked about, you know, we're going to be buying up all these businesses in our fund. And there might come a time where it makes sense to instead of renting, that space to actually just own it. So if there's a small business owner who they don't know a thing about insurance and they're thinking about buying the space that they're in, what are some of those nuances in their insurance policy or in the process in general that they should be looking for? 
Yeah. So business insurance has a whole pretty big topic. I'm going to zoom it in and give you kind of a high level, what you should be looking for at the, at the highest level. And, and let me start with who you should be looking at, because I think that the real answer, if, if nothing else about insurance is taken away from this conversation, it is finding an insurance advisor who you understand when they talk. Amazingly, very few insurance. I hear all the time, like, I don't know, I was talking with that person for 25 minutes and I walked away more confused than I was when we got on the phone, phone at the beginning. Like if that's your experience, that is the wrong person for you to work with. So finding an insurance advisor, I would say an independent insurance advisor for the most part, because they have more options. And especially with business insurance, you're just mo more likely to need that anyway. Um, but the person you connect with uh, on this topic is almost more important than anything else I can say about insurance because they're going to do a great job of making it specifically for you. But as far as what you need, there's a, a few categories that I'll go through quickly. The first one is what you talked about, was, um, which is property coverage, right? And this could be coverage for the building you own, like you just described. If you own the building, then you know, you're know you going to need to insure that building. But it could also be your stuff if you're a bakery. Uh, even if you don't own, own, you know, I just was talking with a bakery owner early earlier today about $75,000 worth of business personal property, which was all the stuff that uh, she uses to do the work in her bakery. So uh, your property, which could be the building or could be the stuff you own, is the first thing. The second thing is liability coverage. And liability coverage just means bad stuff that could happen to other people. And there's all kinds of liability coverage. There's professional liability and general liability and blah, blah, blah. It's just bad stuff that happens to other people. And you can trust your insurance advisor to tell you what most likely you need. General liability is the most common. If someone slips at the front door of your business, falls over, uh, breaks an arm and hires a personal injury attorney, like how, who's going to protect you for that? Well, that is general liability coverage. It's the most common liability coverage you have. So property coverage and liability coverage are the two most common business coverages that a business needs. The other ones that you need to think about, um, well, I'll add one more to liability. There's something called professional liability, which is if you give advice to anyone, if you are in any way an advisor um, and you advise someone to do something and they take that action and it has a bad effect on them and they turn around and sue you. That is called professional liability coverage. And anyone who is an advisor of any kind should you know, have that. So I have that as an insurance advisor, financial advisors have that, and uh, you know, lots of other people's have, people have that. Um, is this two in the weeds or just right? Actually, it is just right because I didn't know professional liability was even a type of insurance policy that you could buy. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's huge. So anybody yeah. who's an uh, who's a consultant or any advisor of any type, uh, this is a way to protect your butt from somebody, not even you giving bad advice, but it could be somebody implementing it in the wrong way. And now they want to sue you. And we, you know, if you're in a very litigious state where, you know, people sue everybody for everything, yeah. right? Like, that's something that I think is super important because I think, I think this guy, I think his name is David Melser. He said something that's super common sense, but it is very, very practical. And he said, one of the best ways to be successful in business is to actually stay in business. And that means <laughs> avoid lawsuits, avoid, you know, doing things that are unethical or illegal, avoid bankruptcy if you can. So it's like, I think that's one of those pieces of information that, you know, it gets glossed over because it's in the insurance industry, but it's something that I think 
is pretty cool because it protects you from, you know, a liability that is all, you know, is always going to be there for you. But maybe a lot of people don't know that they can even, you know, protect themselves from that because I, I definitely didn't. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things with liability coverage is, you know, the person who's accusing you of something doesn't have to be right for it to cost a lot of money to defend yourself. Right. And I think that can be really frustrating, right? Because like if someone's accusing you of something, you're a business owner, you're working really hard on the work, what you're doing. Usually when someone's accusing you of something, it feel you feel very defensive and oftentimes you don't feel they're correct. Yeah. Um, but to have an insurance company that you can just say, well, you deal with it. Let me know if you need me. You know, in a lot of ways, that's sort of what goes down. And that's the peace of mind you have with general liability and professional liability with that, uh, you know, advice stuff as well. So that's the liability piece. So we went through property and liability. And let me give you a couple of other really quick ones to think about. For sure. If you have employees, you know, workers' compensation. So if someone's injured as an employee of your business, um, you are required, uh, depends on the state and how the laws are set up, but to address those injuries as a part of your business. And that's work comp coverage. So that's for injuries to employees. There's other kind of employee insurance as well. So if you have employees, you need to let your insurance agent know and let that person advise you about what kind of insurance you need. So there's that commercial auto. If you've got cars in the name of your business, you need to have a commercial auto policy, right? If you decided to name your, like we own an insurance agency, which you wouldn't say, well, we've got cars, but we purchase one of our cars in our business name because it made sense tax-wise and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we would have a commercial auto policy. And then uh, a commercial umbrella. I've only got two more than then. I mean, there's lots of insurance, but I'm just giving you kind of the highest level stuff yeah. here. So commercial umbrella is just excess liability. So the worst case scenarios, we talked about all those bad scenarios that liability coverage covers. Well, what if you run out of coverage? What if you had a million dollars in coverage and the bad thing that happened is like 2 million? You know, that's where the extra liability would come in. And then, you know, I'm sure the insurance agents listening out there are like, no, there's five more. Jeremy, you missed, you know, all the, <laughs> there's 15 uh, more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess the last thing I would, would add is a, a data compromise and cyber liability. So if you are collecting people's information um, and that is breached, that information is breached, is taken from you, is used for bad and those people who had the information taken from your systems, you know, sue you or whatever, or someone locks up your computers. There's all sorts of bad cyber stuff that yeah. people can do. And there's insurance to cover for that. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, those that's that's the in the weeds description. But ultimately, the person that you're talking to about your insurance is, is the key to all of them. And, and they can help you walk through that. That is awesome. I just learned so much. I yeah. didn't even know like the data insurance protection was yeah. a thing. And I'm I'm thinking in my head, like, yeah, we should probably look into that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's it's super important too, because you you mentioned that you work with a lot of uh real estate investors. And I know a lot of people who do like real estate syndications. Mm -hmm. If they're doing a syndication, you know, depending on what type they're doing, they're collecting people's financial information sometimes to verify accredited investor. And if that got breached and, you know, that person's name, uh, their, you know, tax information and their social security number all got out there to the public and somebody used that for, you know, any reason at all, like that can be so dangerous, not only for your business, but your reputation, your future deals, the deals that you've already done. Like that could be such a problem. And you're literally the first person to ever mention the data insurance to me. And yeah, I think that's yeah. something 
you know, like it's it's something that really protects the people that I know. So I'm definitely going to go back and share this with like, guys, did you know you like protecting it? <laughs> like this is huge. Like, yeah, it's usually go. pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's usually pretty cheap too. And I mean, for real estate investors, just to finish that syndication conversation, you know, like uh, what is the asset that someone's going to come after if they do? Like for real estate investor, there's a huge asset sitting right there, you yeah. know, that, that's available to become, to come after. I don't know right the, what the right way to say that yeah. is, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so yeah, even more so having smart protection makes a lot of sense there. Absolutely. So um, I want to ask you, what are some challenges that you've had to overcome like within your business? Oh, so many, like (laughs) all of them. You want, you want, (laughs) right. Yeah. I I mean, you know, I think I I like a lot of the challenges. One of the biggest challenges I have is knowing what information is valuable and what information is not valuable. You know, especially someone like myself, who's just constantly wanting to learn how to be, you know, I've, I've explained in this conversation, how I feel like I'm not the best marketer. Like I, I, my system on the marketing side, isn't as good as it can be. So I'm out there. I mean, how many podcasts are there about marketing systems? Like a whole lot and they're all good. Um, and, and so how do you know, right? Like, how do you know who to listen to? So that's been a struggle. I think time is a struggle. I mean, Clubhouse is a great example, right? Like, I don't know if you've been on the Clubhouse app at all, but like talk about a time suck, you know, and, and just, you could be on there forever. And, you know, all social media is like that a little bit, but I I just feel like Clubhouse for some reason, because it sort of requires you to stay connected because it's audio. um, It just has added to the, the feeling inside of me, like I should be doing more, but I just don't have the time to do it. Absolutely. Um, So I think that's the biggest struggle is like how you balance, especially if you're passionate, how you balance that passion and that interest with like doing all the other things in your life that that work-life balance and yeah, that kind of thing. For sure. I've like been struggling with that same exact thing the last couple of weeks because I'm like, well, I want to read this book, but I also need to get through this one. And oh, I need to read that too before I talk to this person about this. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. and then Clubhouse podcasts. I'm like, yeah, I just want all this information right now, but I have so much to do. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think there's a perfect answer to it, but what, you know, one answer is kind of, all right, what are my priorities and how can I, uh, I, I like, you know, there's a lot of advisors out there who talk about the, the value of your time, you know, how much is your time worth? And then if you look at all the things you're doing, you know, what of those things are under your pay grade or however you want to describe that? And then how can you push that out? How can you build systems to hand it off to a VA, to hand it off to an employee, to hand it off to someone else? And I think successful entrepreneurs figure out how to hand off everything under a hundred bucks an hour or whatever your your number is uh, to other people, which is a skill in and of itself. Mm -hmm. For sure. So what is a tool that you use that helps you stay organized in your business? Because I think we talked a lot about marketing, growth, uh, just general overall strategy, insurance. And I think one of the hard parts about being an entrepreneur is figuring out how do I tie all of these 
uh, different systems and techniques and strategies and tools together. So what are some of the tools that you use to kind of just hold yourself accountable and stay organized in your business? Yeah, I mean, my tech stack is probably a little bit too big, but I go straight to my tech stack, first of all, and, you know, think about that. And probably the number one tool, which some people will definitely argue with, is Trello. Um, And so the way I use Trello, so Trello is a program that has boards and that those boards have lists and those lists have cards. And what I love about Trello is inside of those cards, you can create um, checklists and you can create a template so that those checklists are inside every card when you create a new one. And so our standard operating procedures, our SOPs are essentially embedded in each of those cards. And so every single time a process starts, whatever that process is, it has inside of it, the checklist, what the first person does and there's seven steps. And then when that ends, it pops up the next checklist and sends a you know reminder and whatever. So everything else about our tech stack kind of runs through Trello and that's where our SOPs are. And that's where our, our, our workflows happen. That is very helpful because we were actually looking for kind of like something to manage our workflow with our teams and stuff like that. And Trello was one of the names that kept kind of popping up. So you're like, I think the second or third person to say it. So we're going to look a little bit more into (laughs) Trello because we definitely need that. Some people like Trello. Some people don't like Trello. I I think that's true of all tech. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Chris L. Davis, who has an automation bridge, Um, but he is just a great digital digital marketing specialist and systems specialist who he was a part of, well, I won't name the businesses he were a part, was a part of necessarily, but just a super smart guy. Yeah. And um, what he always says is it's really about your systems first and the tech second. And I think that's such great advice. It's like, I can say Trello, I could tell you my entire tech stack. We could talk about it for an hour, but the end of it is however you figure out your process, like figure it out. If that's writing it on a piece of paper and just like drawing it out, like do that, you know, do whatever is already inside of your wheelhouse and then figure out the tech that makes that simple, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter what tech you use, whatever makes sense to you. Absolutely. I love. Yeah. I love that piece of information because I think some people can get caught up in the tool and it's like, you can't even use the tool correctly because you didn't have the systems beforehand of systems. The, the tool is supposed to help the systems, not necessarily the other way around. So I really like that a lot. Yeah. So we talked about a lot on this podcast episode. Uh, what is the number one takeaway that you will want somebody to get from listening to this? You know, I think that, man, I have so many, but I, I think, I guess a big take takeaway about being an entrepreneur, it's the overwhelm thing. Like, I just don't know how to get away from overwhelm. And I think that any good entrepreneur, any but someone who's trying to truly build their business is going to feel that overwhelm. And I think accepting that and, and taking breaks, finding a mastermind or finding people that can affirm to you that, hey, yeah, you're in the same boat I've been in, you know, here it is. All the advice you hear about so many things that when you feel that overwhelmed, that is A, a part of entrepreneurship, but B, once you understand that, then you can really start to frame and say, all right, 
well, I don't think I'm saying this very well because I don't want people to think that overwhelm is a part. Never mind. I'm not going to be an entrepreneur anymore. I give up. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I, I'm just saying that when you experience that, okay, you're an entrepreneur. We all feel that. Now, how can you figure out how to, how to limit that, how to systematize that, how to schedule yeah. that, how to make your life balance with the work that you love doing? And um, I think that it's okay to realize that we're all in the same place on that. And it's just a matter of figuring it out. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So since you're on the Abundant Culture Podcast, we have to ask this question to every guest that comes on. And the question is, whether it's in your personal life, your business, spiritual life, or whatever, how do you spread abundance? You know, I th- that's a great question. One of, so for our REI Clarity podcast, the podcast that I have for real estate investors, we have a nine action step, um, nine action steps that I feel any real estate investors can take to make their business more successful. And one of them is we rise by lifting others. And the concept that if your intention in the decisions that you make is to go out and lift someone else up, um, that inherently you will rise as well. And I think so many powerful people have that message over and over again. So how do I do, how do I create abundance? It is trying to lift other people. It's how can I add value? How can I create a video that helps someone understand things a little bit more? And then ultimately back to insurance, which is how can I change the way people feel about insurance? This kind of just kind of crappy part of, you know, your life experience and yet an incredibly important part of what keeps you safe and what provides you the peace of mind that if bad things happen, they're not going to be the end of your business or the end of your world or whatever. How can I make that a little bit better for people? So when it comes to abundance, it's like, let's rise by lifting others. How can I do that? I don't have an exact answer for what that means, but uh, I try in all my my little ways to do that. Yeah. And I think it's an important part of life because I it's, you know, I think it's one of the few things that matter at the end of the day mm-hmm. is the people that you impact, help and lift up for sure. A hundred percent. The happiness of someone else is the best way to create happiness for yourself. Like, I think that's just obvious. Yeah. yeah. And I think there was actually a study done on that and it actually proved to be true. So it's like, you can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, you've, you've made me more happy today. I've really appreciated. I said before we came on that I had an incredibly crazy day, just one thing after another, after another, and being able to come here and focus and be present has been uh, a, a huge value to uh, my life and my day. So thank you for that. Well, I'm glad so. we can help because we had one of those days yesterday. So we know how it feels. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody either wants to work with uh, you or your team, how would they get into contact with you all? Sure. Shineinsurance.com is the easiest way to do that. And all of our stuff is there. And then uh, if you want to check out the YouTube channel, Shine Insurance is the, the name of our YouTube channel. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Jeremy, for this wonderful conversation. I just love how conversational like we kept it. It wasn't like the strict interview format that we do sometimes. So this was really fun and very refreshing. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Jasmine and Joseph, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you were all, all are doing. And I hope I added a little bit of value to, to folks life today. You did. You did. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Abundant Culture Podcast with Jazz and Joe. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review. And remember, we're ready to buy your business. 
So if you're ready to sell or passively invest in other small businesses, go to AbundantCulture.co for more information. We publish episodes every Friday, so we'll see you next week.